Hey friends, welcome back after quite an extended little break to the Dead Poets Podcast. It's been quite some time since my last episode, I'll have to admit. Life's been pretty unpredictable and I've had a few uh, difficult circumstances to work through, but I've had some great things going on as well. Rosie just turned one in December. It's been a wild year trying to keep up with her and it's getting even wilder. I hope you guys enjoy this episode that I've put together. Um, the last episode, there were some audio formatting issues. I tried to upload, re-upload uh, multiple times, but the tone, every time it would upload, just translated to be like a very low, deep tone, and I couldn't seem to get it to finalize correctly, so hopefully we'll get that all sorted out uh, with this episode. So honestly, let's just jump back into it. The first poem I'd like to read is one of my favorite classic poems from one of the most well-known American poets. Walt Whitman was born in 1819 in Long Island, New York, and he was one of nine children that his father Walter and his mother Louisa had. Starting as an apprentice to a printer just before his 13th birthday, he became obsessed with reading and he read an abundance of classic literature like Shakespeare, Homer, uh, actually even the Bible. After a tragic fire burned his printing company to the ground at the age of 17, he became a school teacher for three years in a one-room schoolhouse. That only lasted for about three years because at the age of 20, he became an editor for several newspapers and magazines in New York. But... However, he became pretty tired of the New York life and traveled around a little bit and settled in New Orleans, where he became an editor for a paper in the city. During his travels throughout the country, he gradually penned a few original poems. Upon settling back in Brooklyn in 1855 at the age of 36, he self-published a small book of 12 unnamed poems that he had written, and he sent a copy of it to his friend, Ralph Waldo Emerson. This book was titled Leaves of Grass. Here is one of my favorites from the book and one of his most famous. It's called O Me, O Life. In this existential poem that asks and questions what our purpose could possibly be amid all this despair, Whitman displays the tone and influence that biblical poetry had on his writings throughout rhetorical questioning and and long cadence that's also displayed in some of his other writings. Listen to his self-reflection and rhetorical searching that he's doing, all while knowing the answer to his questions. Whitman inks reassurance to himself in the midst of these blips of confusion. Here is O Me, O Life. O Me, O Life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggled ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plotting and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest of me intertwined, the question, 
oh me, so sad, recurring. What good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. When the Civil War broke out, Whitman determined that he would make a difference with his life and started visiting wounded soldiers in various hospitals around New York and D.C. He even became a clerk in the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Washington, D.C., where he stayed for 11 years doing his best to make a positive change. He transferred to the Attorney General's office after being fired from the Bureau when the Secretary of the Interior found out he was the author of Leaves of Grass, which the Secretary hated. Walt Whitman suffered a stroke in 1873 at the age of 54 and was left handicapped. He spent the rest of his years writing prose and editing his poems until he died in 1892 in Camden, New Jersey at 73 years old. The next poem that I would like to read is by Percy Shelley. Shelley, in my opinion, however controversial he might be, is one of the three best examples of the epitome of English Romanticism, next to Keats and Lord Byron. Funny enough, he was actually roommates with John Keats at one point in time, and I, I've actually been able to visit their house right off the Spanish Steps in Rome, overlooking the steps right out the window. It's pretty cool. Percy Shelley was born in Sussex, England, August 4th, 1792, and was the oldest son of his parents. Therefore, he was set to inherit his grandfather's estate, as well as placement into his family seat in Parliament. After growing up in a strict boys' boarding school, he enrolled in Eton College at the age of 12. While living in Eton, Shelley began his writing career writing poems, novels, etc., and published a small novel titled Zestory. It's about a hero saving damsels in distress from villains. His poems and novels were not met with very much praise at the time and were referred to as pretty much sentimental nonsense. After Eton, Shelley enrolled in Oxford College for a short time before eloping with a young woman named Harriet Westbrook. He moved around for several years after their marriage, going to York and Dublin, where he began uh, becoming involved in the budding Irish movement for emancipation. Shortly after, Shelley and his wife became estranged, and he met Mary Godwin. Mary and Percy also eloped and traveled in July 1814 to parts of Paris and Switzerland for several months before running out of money and returning back to England. The following year, Shelley met Lord Byron, and they became fast friends and literary colleagues. A frequent topic of discussion between these friends and Mary, Shelley's wife, was the spirits, hauntings, ghosts, ghouls, which inspired a contest between the few of them to come up with the best ghost story. Shelley's wife, Mary, wrote Frankenstein to enter their friendly competition. In early 1818, 
the Shelleys left England and moved to Italy, sharing housing with John Keats for a pretty short time. All of Shelley's most renowned works were written and published during this time. This poem from Shelley that I'm going to read for you is called Ozymandias. The inspiration for this poem came to Percy Shelley after Napoleon's conquest of Egypt a few years prior had opened up vast opportunities for historians at the time to dig and discover more ancient architecture, ruins, artifacts, etc., one of which being the statue of Ozymandias. Ozymandias, more commonly known as Ramses II, the pharaoh that opposed Moses in the book of Exodus, had built a giant statue of himself for the slaves and Egyptians to worship him, and it was discovered at this time during all the excavation. That is the subject of detention in this poem. The giant statue that then sprawled in ruin had an inscription on its base that read, King of Kings, Ozymandias, am I. If any want to know how great I am and where I lie, let him outdo me in my work. This inspired Shelley to pen these thoughts. Here's the poem, Ozymandias. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them, on the sand. Half sunk a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor, well with those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. The picture of this and the irony of this is so fascinating to me. All the works of man, no matter how powerful and permanent that we think that they are, are literally nothing. This tough granite monument was leveled and erased by sand, and the only thing remaining was an inscription that became a mockery of itself. The only things that we can do that can outlast time are the things that we do for Christ's kingdom. No doubt when Shelley penned these words, he was also taking aim at the British Empire, which he hated deeply after helping the seedling Irish movement for independence back in his early years. Just a few years later, on July 8, 1822, Percy Shelley was caught in a severe storm on the Bay of Lerici off the coast of Italy and drowned at sea in his little schooner, the Don Juan. He was just a couple months away from being 30 years old. Shelley is buried near his friend, Keats, who died the year before from tuberculosis. Lastly, I'd like to read a couple short poems for you that are meaningful to me, because um, I actually wrote 
these two poems about four or five years ago and just recently dug them up out of my notepad on my phone. They aren't necessarily good, uh, like objectively speaking, but in the spirit of the Dead Poets podcast, I felt like I could share and, you know, it's my show, so why the heck not? This first one I wrote um, just before Christmas break, like four or five years ago. I was trying to figure it out, but it's been at least four years. Um, it's just a reflection of how I was feeling at the time, ready to go home, wondering how I was going to pass any of my classes, and um, trying to trust God completely as I felt like I was just suspended above my fate. This one is uh, called Tightrope. Quivering on this suspended tightrope, with my whole world residing beneath. Before me glistens a beacon of hope, but behind me my fears are released. I can't turn around and return to the dark, and I will never resign or retreat. So, forward I go, toward the light I embark, as the whisper of hope knolls defeat. And I'll wrap up this episode with this last poem called The Web. I really had written this one about four years ago as well, and when I wrote it, I kind of envisioned like this line that connects person to person, much like that classic detective or conspiracy memes that you see with the red string connecting all the dots in a case. But this red line was actually a thread of kindness, and it was just kind of connecting everyone together from one person to the next and um, kind of passing it on. One small act of kindness that may seem insignificant, but was just getting people through um, is kind of like the inspiration for this. So I just looked in my mind's eye and it looked to me like a web. Um, Everybody intertwined and maybe it'll encourage you to just drop a compliment to somebody or give someone a hug that kind of looks like they need it, whether you know them or not. If there's anything I've learned in the last several months, it's that life is truly a vapor. Love the ones that you have and just hold them close. An inch of kindness can go miles for somebody. Here is the web. As the middle school girl turned away from the mirror, dejected and self-conscious of weight, she felt the soft tap and she heard her friend whisper, Well, don't you look pretty today? And her dad, an aging mechanic who's right across town, has found more gray in his hair today. But his co-worker said it's a comforting crown, cause a knowledgeable man it conveys. Now he's fixing the car, of a mom who cries softly, who hasn't found work in a while. When a stranger nearby leans and hands her a coffee that gently brings out a rare smile. Her son is in college and appears to be grown, but he still weeps for the days of the past, and an arm of a friend helps him feel not alone in a world that's so cold and so vast. These are just a few jots by a poor, simple man, whose friends can turn winter to spring. So if you want to make change, well, anyone can, 
A simple kindness can change everything. And with that, that's it for this episode. I'll be back soon with some more poems and discussion for you guys next time. I really appreciate everybody who listens and reaches out and gives me their opinions and some suggestions on what they like or want to add. So keep the feedback coming. So carpe diem. Seize the day. And make your lives extraordinary.